0: All right, I knew I was forgetting something. Uh, this Wednesday night is the uh, night before Thanksgiving. I'm dreaming of a green Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. Maybe <laughs> Never mind. Anyways, um, did you get that? Did anybody get that? I'm dreaming of a green Thanksgiving. Anyways. Wow. Rough crowd this morning. Um, we usually do a, like a bring a pie or whatever, something like that, some kind of dessert. Um, kind of have a... Uh, it's just a testimony service on Wednesday night, so we'll sing a few songs and then just have some thanksgiving. And uh, just publicly, just some things that maybe you can think about uh, between now and Wednesday night to just publicly say, I, I want to say I'm thankful for, um, to have a little bit of a thanksgiving service. And then just a, probably a brief service, which usually isn't, isn't over an hour, uh, maybe a little less. And then have some fellowship and some pie together. So if you'll bring a, a pie to pass uh, this coming Wednesday night, And be prayed up. Be thinking about something to be thankful for. I said something, uh, I think it was last Wednesday, about Thanksgiving being a great holiday. Um, I don't know if I came across right or not. I, I, I think Thanksgiving should be a worldwide holiday. I realize it's an American holiday. I think I may have come across differently on Wednesday night. But what I was saying is I think this is one of the best holidays that we have. Um, and not necessarily from a patriotic standpoint, okay? I'm not saying we shouldn't thank God for a great country and the liberties that we have and the money and all that stuff. But you got to realize America's not, you know, the Christian nation that it claims to be. And the word Christian is pretty loose. Uh, just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a born-again Bible-believing Christian. Uh, we'll be looking at that tonight. We're going to start going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. Tonight I'm just going to give you the introduction to Revelation. And uh, you got to realize a lot of Christians, um, they're really not anything of the sort. They use the name and claim the name of Christ, but they're not born-again followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll show you some of that tonight, some major religions that corrupt the truth while they claim to be Christian. Uh, so, I mean, I'm thankful that God's given us a, a, a good country, aren't you? That's all right. You didn't ask to be born here, and I'm not anti-American. But I will say this. I don't think that... Uh, we really have a place in church being overly patriotic. How can you say God bless America when America is spitting in the face of God and has been doing it for a long time? Um, I do believe this, and it kind of goes in with the message this morning. I believe the one thing we have left going for us is that we do stand by Israel. I know that's politically a very charged thing to say, but the fact of the matter is God said He'll bless them and bless you and curse them and curse you. Uh, the day will come soon when America turns on Israel. And when America does turn on Israel, you watch what God does to this country. Uh, We're already on overly borrowed time with everything we got going on anti God, anti Bible, anti science, um, abortion, and all the rest of the stuff you got going on. You got murderers getting away with it. Uh, God said a land cannot be cleansed of blood but by the blood of the one that shed it. I'm not getting political, I'm getting biblical. You got a nation that does not follow the Bible and has it for a long time. And you can see where it's going. It's getting bad. Uh, when this country stops standing by Israel, God will be done. He'll close the book on it. I believe that with all my heart. I think it's over. And that being said, I'm still thankful for my country. I've always told you, and I mean this from my heart, the only other thing that I could ever see myself doing with my life uh, outside of being a preacher at this point would have been military. I, I got a lot of military in my family, and I appreciate them. I appreciate their sacrifices, Uh, I respect them, all that stuff. Uh, Law enforcement, maybe. I respect them and I appreciate them. But that being said, what I'm talking about this coming Wednesday night is not coming in here and just, you know, thankful for America, where what do we do? Well, we throw it in the face of God and we go get gluttonous. Look how rich we are. Look how blessed we are. And we mow ourselves, mow down on food. And uh, like we stopped at the store yesterday, Grace and I, we hadn't been in that mire, and we walked through the mire looking for Uh, little stevia drinks that we drink and went the wrong way as we were leaving and we went through aisle after aisle after aisle after aisle after aisle aisle of liquor. And not only was that enough, but the whole wall on this side was all liquor and I said to her, I said, here we are, the preacher and his wife walking through the liquor aisle, you know. And I'm like, isn't it wild how there's more liquor than there is pop and juices? You see where we come as a country? I mean, how is there this much of a market for liquor? Uh, It's pretty rough, man. What I'm talking about Wednesday night is, and with the Thanksgiving holiday is being thankful to God for God, for salvation, for a Bible, for those kind of things that transcend everything this world has to offer. I'm even going to really step on the Holy Grail here for a lot of people, things that even transcend family. I'm thankful for my family. I don't even know how to put it into words how much I love and appreciate my family. But I'm talking about God, because He even transcends that. I'm grateful for a good God, aren't you? So let's be thinking about that between now and Wednesday night. Stan, if you would, please go to the book of Esther, chapter number 9 in your Bibles. We're going to finish up the book of Esther this morning. Esther chapter 10 is really short, so I wasn't going to try to build a message off of that, although we probably could. But uh, Esther chapter number 9 and 10 we'll cover this morning, and we're not going to cover every single verse, verse by verse, so please don't uh, get too desperate. Um, I'll I'll keep it to the normal time frames. But I'd like you to read with me, if you would, Esther chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, Now the parentheses, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. The Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. And all the rulers of the provinces, and the lieutenants, and the deputies, and officers of the king helped the Jews, because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, and slaughter, and destruction, and did what they would unto those that hated them. And in Shushan the palace, the Jews slew and destroyed five hundred men. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. I thank you, Lord, for being a great God. I thank you for being a God of a happy ending. And Lord, we don't see a lot of the happy endings in this life. Lord, we're kind of tuned to not even think that way nowadays. But you are a God of a happy ending. And I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that you hold eternity in your hands. I'm glad, God, that my life is in your hands and that the end of my life is in your hands. And Lord, I want it to stay there. When I take it into my own hands, God, I mess it up. I've learned that the hard way. And Father, I don't want to mess up what you've done for me. I don't want to mess up what you've given me. I don't want to mess up what you can do and will do for me. So I pray this morning that you'd help me as I preach this message, Lord, not only to preach it to others and to try to be a blessing to others, but help me also, Lord, to remember how it applies to myself. And I pray that you'd make me an able minister of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. I pray that you'd use me to help somebody else and to encourage your people as they struggle through their daily lives, Pray, God, you'd please make great application to our hearts and teach us your words, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to preach to you from this last chapter on the subject of a happy ending. If you stop and think about it, that is really what we're all looking for in life. Uh, Life's tough, ain't it? Now, I don't mean to be too morbid, and I really don't want to drag your thoughts and your mind and your heart down too far, so please... Keep that in mind as I say what I'm about to say in just a minute here. Don't go too far down there, right? But you think about life. What an exciting thing it is, a baby shower. Looking at, you know, all these little babies coming in our church. Man, it is so cool. Whenever we get to a point where, you know, the nurseries are starting to dry up, you know, I start praying, like, Lord, come on, where are the babies? Why? Well, I mean, 20 years from now, we need a youth group. You know what I mean? 15 years, 12 12 short years, it's... Seems like very short years, 12. We need a youth group, Lord. I mean, let's, 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 where are the kids? Such an exciting thing to hold a baby. We do all that teasing about not wanting to have babies anymore and all that stuff, but you can't get around the fact that a baby is a pretty awesome thing. Uh, a baby lightens the room up, don't they? Or, or they darken it, depending on their mood. But anyways, like, <laughs> how 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 cool. And yet you think about the fact that that child's born in just a few short years, that child's going to have gray hair and wrinkles. I mean, you hear the older folks talking like, oh, it goes so fast. And when you're young, that just goes completely over your head because you just feel like, you know, it takes forever. I'm never going to get my license. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to get a job. I'm never going to, right? Right? But when you get older, you're like, you know what? <laughs> all those, I'm never gonna happen so stinking fast. And it happens to everybody else, so guess what? It'll happen to you too, so calm down a little bit, all right? Amen. Don't mess up your life in the process, right? Amen. But you think about the fact that here you are getting older. You know how that thing's gonna end? If the Lord doesn't rapture us out? In a grave. What a joke. (laughs) I mean, are you kidding me? Like, we're all destined for a very sad ending. Now, I don't know what's going on in our culture 100%. I don't claim to be God or see it from a spiritual perspective like God does. But something is going on in our culture. Something is going on throughout this nation for sure in that people don't take death nearly as seriously as they used to. You go to a funeral and it's almost like, are we even at a funeral right now? Used to be, there was a certain appropriate, even appropriate collars to wear to a funeral. And there was an appropriate volume level when you went in the room. Nowadays it's like everybody's standing around the south side. they're laughing, they're joking, they're in a hurry to leave, they're on their Facebook. It's like it's like half it's like getting to see everybody that I haven't seen in a while. We're all hanging out, and we're like, it's like man, the respect for death and the the reality, the somberness of going to a funeral, the somberness of realizing that it is over, the somberness of all that, like it's gone in our culture. And it's so strange to me because it seems like we Even have gotten to a point that we're desensitized to a negative ending. Now, here's the weird part about this that I can't figure out. While we're desensitized to a negative ending, it seems like we're all always expecting a negative ending, and none of us are happy with that. Do you follow me? If you look at the old fashioned movies years ago, you know what always happened in the end? The good guys won. Right, And it was like, yes, that was awesome. Wasn't that great? The bad guy got killed. The good guy rode off into sunset with the, with the wonderful young lady. And they lived happily ever after. You know what you don't get nowadays when you watch TV? You don't get a happy ending. You go ahead and watch it. Go ahead and look at what I see. The vast majority of the time, the ending is kind of like messed up cliffhangers in the series, and now you got to wait months for the rest of the series to come out, and it ended so negatively, oh, he can't stop there. Yeah. You know what I literally think has truly happened, and I'm no psychologist, but I would love to read a study on it if somebody did it, qual- somebody qualified did it. You know what I think has happened? Our mindset has begun to be de- reprogrammed into expecting a negative ending we've got an overabundance of entertainment and we're more miserable than we've ever been. Yeah. People are more desperate now in life than you've ever seen people. You watch even little kids, they've lost their hope. Even our children, children trying to commit suicide, having suicidal thoughts. Young folks, middle-aged folks in the prime of their life when they have a future and some things that you could be looking forward to, just like, yeah, what's the point? Getting discouraged, getting depressed, and and I mean the amount of and I'm not listen. I'm not an anti medication. You know, you hear you don't need any pill. You need the gospel. I don't agree with that. I do think that some people actually need some kind of help. Okay and I'm not the one to judge whether or not you do or don't but I have more than once when people come to me and say, listen here's the spiritual component here's what I can do this is my department but there might be another component for you that you need to go see a therapist you need to go see a doctor I'm not against being but I do believe this I believe we are over medicated and a lot of people are medicated that may not need to be medicated because they're just so cotton pick and depressed all the time always expecting it to end bad always thinking there's no hope not recognizing that they there is a God in heaven that can and will work and is working and can bring good out of bad. Amen. What I want in my life is a happy ending. If you step back and think for a minute and you look at your Bible, we're going to start in a revelation tonight. You know how that thing ends up? You know what God is going to do for every last one of you who's born again? He is going to wipe away all tears from your eyes. He is going to remove the memory of former things. When you get to eternity future, when you get to God's final plan for you, you're not even going to be able to think of something depressing, think of something heartbreaking, think of something wicked, think of something that used to mess with you and bother you. The things that trouble you now, no matter how deep those waters, are one day going to be gone forever. In his presence is the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. That's the ending that God has for every one of you and everybody you love, if they're born again. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not born again, you need to stop me before you leave, come into my office, and say, listen, just show, I'll show you from the Bible. Understand what I'm saying? Not from religion. I'm not giving you my religion. I will show you from the Bible what God says it means to know you're going to heaven when you die. You need to know that and I promise you when I'm preaching it's one thing when we're in my office I won't be that way, okay? Amen. Those of you that have been here a while you're supposed to say amen and laugh so that, that people are like okay, this guy's really not, doesn't scream at people in the office. A couple times but not often. <laughs> Anyways. You know what you need this morning? You need to realize God's got some happy endings for you. Because the Bible tells you in the book of Nehemiah, go back there if you would please. You're in Esther, just turn back to your left. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Go back to your left. Look at Nehemiah chapter number 8. I want to show you why this assault on your mind and on your heart. Nehemiah chapter number 8, that's 9. Good. I thought I wrote about that on a bum reference there. Nehemiah chapter number 8, look at verse 10. Then said he unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet. It must have been thanksgiving. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. Must have been dinner on the grounds. For this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know why people are so spiritually weak nowadays? The life in a sinful world, the damage of sin, the pain of sin, the sorrow of sin, has drained them of their joy. The overabundance of the brainwashing philosophy of entertainers and social media and human nature, and all that's the danger of social media, is what is running that thing, is human nature. Yeah. I mean, even if you, you know, I only follow it, you're still following human nature. You're still following people's lives and all the way. The danger of the impact of that in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, in your psyche is dragging you down. It's draining you of your joy. And when your joy is gone, your spiritual strength is gone. And you cannot sustain the struggles of life in a sinful world because it's hard on everybody to live in a sinful world. Amen. Well, preacher, my problems aren't sin. Yes, they are. Well, I'm living right, doing right. Your problems are sin. No, my problems are health problems. There would be no health problems if there was not sin in the world. Your problems is a sinful world. That's what your issues are, no matter what it is. God said the joy of the Lord is your strength. Go over to the book of Proverbs. You're in Esther. You're in Nehemiah. Keep going back to the right. Just skip past Esther, Job, Psalms, and then Proverbs. I want to show you a couple more verses. We'll get back here to Esther chapter 9 in just a second. Go to Proverbs in chapter number 15. Look at verse 13. Proverbs 15, 13. It says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is broken. You know what you need? (laughs) You need a merry heart. You know, when your heart is sorrowful, your spirit, that's a spiritual thing, is broken. Somebody can be healthy as a horse and strong as a bull and have a broken heart and be completely weak in their spirit. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to see your heart broke. And he wants to make sure that when it gets broke, it stays broke and an infection sets in so that he can drive a wedge between you and the Lord Jesus Christ and drain you of your joy and thereby weaken you and take you out because he's a wolf that seeks out the weakest of the flock, tries to cut him away. He waits till you're lagging behind a little bit from the rest of the group and he'll tear you apart. Oh, yeah. Go over to Proverbs chapter 17. Look at verse 22. Here's a great verse. Now this verse is not teaching that you don't go to the doctor. You understand? A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. It does not say a merry heart replaceth your medicine. It says a merry heart doeth good. And when he's trying to give you an illustration of what a merry heart will do for you, he says like like and as, you've got to watch those words in your Bible so you don't get your doctrine messed up. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. You realize that if your heart is merry, it helps you? Do you know you can have health problems, but have a strong, loving church family and a strong, loving personal family that actually brings you some joy? That actually helps you get through that. Look at the next verse I'll show you. Proverbs chapter 18 and look at verse number 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. See that? You got a sickness? You got a problem? Could be a physical sickness. It just could be an infirmity in life. It could be a heartbroken state. It could be other things, sin and and disappointment and failure. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. When your spirit is strong, the problems that come at you in life, you can, you can get through them. You can actually get through them with a little bit of hope. With a little bit of a smile on your face, with a little bit of the joy of the Lord, you can get through them and you can go to God in prayer saying, Listen, God, this is really bad, but I know you, and your spirit is strong because the Spirit of God's filling you, and you're in the Bible, and you're listening to the right kind of music, and you're on your knees in prayer, and the fellowship of the Hey, God's helping you, because your spirit's strong. Yes, Did you see the second half of that verse? Yeah, you heard a seven-year-old guy just say, I've experienced it, yes. He sits close and feeds me extras. He does the messages. I just preach them, and he's like my teleprompter. You understand what I'm saying? But you live long enough, you make it to 70, you'll experience it too. A wounded spirit, who can bear? So, a perfectly healthy person. You ever meet somebody who says, I don't know what's wrong with me? Well, what's the problem? Okay, so you know you, you got abusive parents, no. You got horrible life, no. You got health problems, no. You got no reason. To, you must have a chemical imbalance. Sometimes. See, see how I went there? I didn't say no. I'm not that dumb. But maybe no. Maybe your problems in your spirit. Maybe your problem is that you've inundated yourself with the things of this world and the entertainment of this world and your stupid smartphone and everybody else's. you know we got an entire generation of young girls and young boys whose lives, their spirits are already tore up because of their social media? Oh, for sure. They're looking at everybody else's life all the time and everybody else's life is so much better than their life and their spirit's wounded and they don't have one cotton-picking problem that's worth being depressed about. Right. But their head's messed up. Sure. It's an attack of the devil on your spirit. You know what I want to show you this morning from this passage? I want to show you that God's a God of happy endings. Go back to Esther chapter number 9 if you would, please. I really hope, I really hope and pray, and I mean it it from the depths of my soul, man. I hope and pray that God can use this message to help some of us. Kind of realize that it's going to be all right. Y'all remember COVID? Everybody was, the world was shutting down. It was all falling apart. And I mean, preachers were panicking. They're coming after our guns next. This is all about the church. Hey, genius, they shut down the bars too, okay? (laughs) Stop making it all about you. We got to take a stand against Whitmer. Let my people go. Hey. (laughs) Relax. It's going to be all right. Didn't God get us through all that? Haven't some of you been through some really dark waters in your life? And God got you through? Hey, guess what? If you're in dark waters, you know what God can do? He can get you through. Well, I don't see how. I'll bet you Esther didn't either when she was in the situation that she was in. Her life got hijacked from her. Hands tied behind her back. That wicked Haman's out there trying to wreck her and wreck her people. I don't think she could possibly see. I don't think she could possibly see how God could ever work this thing out. Then, like we saw last week, Haman gets put out of the picture, and she's still left with the fallout of Haman's influence. And on top of that, the king's got some decrees that he put out that can't be reversed. Do you remember the illustration I made? It's like that Bible in your lap. You're sold under sin, aren't you? You live under the curse of sin, don't you? God put that in the Bible, and God's not changing it. The king's writings can't be changed. The king gave Haman the right and all the people the right to attack and wipe out the Jews and that wasn't changing. They were stuck under a curse. But the king's good enough to say, you know what, I'm not leaving it right there. I'm going to counterbalance that thing. And when he puts the counterbalance in writing, you can't change that either. Now you're in a position... You're in a position. Are you just going to roll over and play dead? Oh, I can't believe this! It's so horrible. Life in this sinful world. We're under the curse, and since we're under the curse, and because of the curse, I'm getting older. And guess what? As you get older, life gets harder. Yes, it does. Now, I'm not trying to claim to be an old man, but I am telling you, my experience so far is that life does not get easier. The decisions don't get easier the ramifications for your decisions don't get easier. It gets harder. And I talk to older people, and I try my best to get older people talking, and when they talk, I listen. Now, I never used to, but I listen now. And you know what I've learned from them? It gets harder. Now, if you get stuck there... And don't avail yourself of the fact that the king wrote, made those writings, and this is how it is, and this is how life is. You're going to get older, you're going to suffer, you're going to die. That's life. And you stay there, you're going to be broken-spirited. You're not going to see a good day. You're not going to recognize that there is a happy ending, and you're not going to experience one. Because your mind and your heart are going to be stuck under all the negative. But you've got to realize, and I've got to realize this morning, that the king also put some other things in writing. And those things aren't going to change either. And you and I need to avail ourselves of the good side of what God's put down in that book. Notice how we do it in the passage. We'll use this as our illustration and I'll show you a couple things and we'll go. First of all, I want you to notice that he set it up to where the Jews would flock together. Look at verse 2. The Jews gathered themselves together in their cities. Throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man could understand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. You know why they were gathered together? They were gathered together for their own safety. Anybody getting the illustration yet? You know what you need to do if you're going to have a happy ending to your life. You need to recognize that God Almighty set up the flock. Jesus Christ died for the church. Jesus Christ is the one that instituted this thing. The reason you ought to be here this morning is not because you're a religious person, not because you're looking for some kind of stinking self-help or entertainment. You know all that stuff. I don't have to keep preaching on it every week. you got to understand that the reason God set up the local church is for your good and for my good and for God's glory. Listen, he says to gather together. Why? For their own safety. They had to come somewhere where they could get equipped and prepared and trained to handle what was coming Their way, and by the grace of God, that's what we're trying to do here this morning is get equipped and prepared and trained to handle what's coming at you in your life. That Bible will handle all of it. There's not a thing that's gonna come into your life that the Bible doesn't have an answer for. I'll tell you something about marriage, and I don't claim to be Mr. Experience, but I don't think we're considered newlyweds after 20 years either. You need a Bible to have a decent marriage you need church because we're going to preach verse by verse chapter by chapter through that book and what'll happen as we preach through that book is you will have to deal with some things that God tells you about marriage you know what you need in order to raise a decent kid or at least do your best whether they're a knucklehead or knots on them but to know you did what God wanted you to do you need a bible You need to be in church on Sunday. You need to hear the preaching. You need to be encouraged that, listen, the Bible says that you're not to spare the rod. Come on, I'm preaching now. Ain't no two year old on the planet that ought to be able to tell a grown, 200 pound adult man what to do. You understand what I'm saying? They need to learn early and often. If you wait till they're six, seven, eight, nine years old, you lost them, man. And it's going to take 10 times, not, not two times, 10 times the work to get them where they need to be if you wait too long. You need a Bible to show you how to be a consistent parent. You need a Bible that that reveals to you it's more important what you are than what you do. That more is caught than taught. That your testimony in front of your children is more important than what you tell them. It's one thing to say you need to go to church. Why don't you take them to church? You need a Bible to help you be a parent. You need a Bible to help you recognize that you're not supposed to provoke your children to anger lest they be discouraged. And that doesn't mean spoil them and give the little brat whatever it wants. That means, hey, listen, unrealistic expectations and inconsistency in your parenting, you frustrate them because they're confused about what you want and where the rules are. You need a Bible to help you be a parent. That ain't something... You can't, like, figure out parenting. I wish that they they came with a manual. I wish the doctor got them and cleaned them up and did their thing and then bring them to you and say, here's the baby and then here's the manual. Amen. You see that? Here's the manual. That's the closest thing you're going to get to a manual. Amen. Amen. And you want to know the wild thing about it? It's the same manual, but you better know how to apply it because the next kid ain't the same as the last one. Thank you. You know what you need? You need God. You know what we're doing here this morning? We're all gathering together because we're in a safe place. And when you come here, there's one theme. There's not competing voices for your time. You don't you don't get to check Fox and CNN when you come in here on Sunday morning. It's not, well, what does Pastor Reagan think? And now let's look at the opposing viewpoint. None of that matters. What matters is open up that book and what did God Almighty say? Hey, listen, we're going to apply that book to our lives because your safety from the attack of the enemy lead even if it's not the devil coming after you. There's plenty out there that want to get at you, that want to get at your marriage, that want to get at your family, that want to get at your walk with Christ. Hey, you need this place. God set it up to keep you safe and to give you a happy ending. And there ain't no guarantees, is there? Yes, sir. But don't you need a God to help you? Yes, sir. God said, hey, gather them people together like a flock. Look down at verse number 15, if you would. For the Jews that were in Sushan gathered themselves together on the 14th day also of the month Adar and slew 300 men at Sushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives. Do you see how they're in different locations? And the rest from their enemies, and, and, and had rest from their enemies, and slew of their foes seventy of five thousand, but they laid not their hands on the prey, and on the thirteenth day of the month Adar, and on the fourteenth day of the same they rested, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews that were in Shushan assembled together on the thirteenth day, and on the fourteenth day thereof, and on the fifteenth day of the same they rested. I made it a day of feasting and gladness. You know what God's got all over the place? Local churches. They might not all be doing exactly the same thing, the exact same way, but when they got the same book and the same Savior, God's working. Listen, if you pack up and move, that's fine. But my advice to you is this. Don't you dare say God is leading you to move somewhere where you don't have a local church within realistic driving distance of where you're moving. I got a job interview, and I'm going to make twice the money. Oh, is that worth it? So money is going to be the happy ending for you. You can make twice the money, but what good is that if you've got to pay alimony and child support? What good is the money if God ain't in it? What good is the money if you're not raising your children in a Bible-believing church where they can get the help they need? Hey, you need the backup! Backup! I know the attacks on your family. I know what's going on in the public school system. I know what's going on in the advertisements. I mean, they can listen to all the Christian Spotify channels they want, but those advertisements are after their minds. You need the local church. That's right. Amen. Keep you safe and keep your kids in it. God set that thing up for your protection. They don't just gather together for their safety against the enemy, but they gather together for service. You know, in those verses we just read through 15 through 19, they're they're feasting together and they're bringing food and passing it out to each other and they're enjoying a blessing. They're enjoying the protection of God. You know what local church is supposed to be? It's supposed to be a blessing. You know what I like about this place? You're not all running for the door as soon as I say Amen. Do you know what major part of what goes on here is not even the pulpit ministry? It's not even the song service. It's the fact that we have each other. It's the fact that when one of us is hurting, we're all hurting. It's the fact that you can walk in and and you know you've had a rough week and people have been praying for your health issues like, hey, how's it going? What's the latest update? You know what a blessing that is? You know what a help that is? You want to have a happy ending to your life? You cannot get sideways to the local church you got to make sure that no matter how bad you get hurt in church, we all get hurt in church. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Everybody sooner or later that stays in a local church gets offended, gets hurt, and has a good reason to wind up leaving. That's because it's a sinful world and that's not going to change. That's because the people around you are not perfect. I know this for an absolute fact and I don't like it. I have honestly offended people and not even known I offended them. Like literally, clueless. I'm really sorry about that. Yeah, good? Okay. You know when you sit up here, that's part of the deal, right? Okay, we're good. I, I hate it. I, nothing, I mean, like nothing bothers me more like, what? Do you know I've had people leave the church and tell other people what I did? And I swear to this day, they, they, they had some kind of a very vivid dream that they believe happened, and I thought, that didn't even happen. What is he talking about? And then there's a chance that, like, well, maybe it did. Maybe I didn't reply to his text message. Maybe I didn't answer the phone when he called. I, I, I don't remember that, but that might have been what happened. It bothers me to think that. But you know what I've begun to realize? None of that stuff's really the issue. You get offended at work and go back. Your friends offend you, but you don't dump them. Right. Your family offends you, but you're still going over there for Thanksgiving. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's bad. But that bad that the Lord put in the Bible and told us it was going to be that way because we're all sinners, that doesn't undo the balance that he gave to it and said, listen, you want help? I put a local church there. Now go and submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Stay there. It'll help you. Hey, I hope and pray, and I mean I pray this, I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit of God has ways of getting in your personal business, getting in your minds, getting in your soul when you come in here. Like, man, I was thinking that way this week. That was happening this week. Preacher didn't even know what he said, but my goodness, man, that was God. That's your protection from the attack of the devil, from the enemy that wants to tear you apart and get you away from God. You're going to have the negative in life. Have I said this before? With or without the Lord. right? Don't turn on the Lord in the negative. Expect the negative. Be prepared for the negative. But realize that in the negative, God sets up a way for you to escape. And part of that way of escape is right here this morning. God gives us the flock. Secondly, God tells us in this passage that even though God's in control and you and I are afraid and the enemy's coming after us that there's a fear that God has that transcends what you and I even know is going on. Watch what I'm talking about. Look at verse 2. The Jews gathered themselves together in the cities throughout all the provinces of the king of Hasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt. And no man could withstand them. Watch it. For the fear of them fell upon all people. That's weird. Look at verse 3. And all the rulers of the provinces and the lieutenants and the deputies and the officers of the king helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai fell upon them. So here you've got all these, all these Gentile rulers in all the provinces that are allowed to attack the Jews, but all those guys in those provinces said, hey, wait a minute. Mordecai is super close to the king. The king said he can defend allowing this guy to run the show politically, 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 we better align ourselves with Mordecai because if we don't, in the end, this is not going to work out for our good. Ain't that interesting? You mean God has the power to mess with the politicians' minds? (laughs) Yes, he does. You mean God has the power to give us our liberty? We don't have to worship the Constitution? Hey, by the way, you think they're going to leave that alone much longer? You think they're not going to make changes? Your faith and hope better not be in the United States of America or American politics or the Constitution of this country or our founding fathers. I, I get so tired of listening to Bible believers preach, Bible-believing preachers talk about our founding fathers in an unrealistic way. Were there some that were born again? Yes. Were most of them? No. Your faith and hope ain't in this nation you got to understand that no matter what direction this thing goes, and I'm not preaching for today right now. I'm preaching for 20 years from now. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm going to keep preaching for 20 years from now. So God help us, maybe we can make it through what may be coming down the pipe for us. And it's coming. You wait 20 years from now. You think about what that means a 35-year-old then is 15 now. Sitting in schools. My kids are homeschooled K-12, and I, I walk through the room, and I hear what they're being taught. A revised version of history. An unrealistic view of what actually happened. You think those kids that are being brainwashed are going to be the same? You think this nation's going to be the same when they're in positions of leadership? I'm still, by the grace of God, I'll still be around 15, 20 years from now. You and I better get down deep in our crawl right now that God's got the thing under control. And whatever direction he sends it, he sends it. But our hope is in the Lord. And the happy ending does not come from politics or from a nation. A happy ending comes from God Almighty. And he's the one that can move in the affairs of men. Our hope's in the Lord. The fear of God fell on these people. And as a result of the fear of God falling on them, they were safe. You know, your natural human response is fear. Do you realize that's a normal human response? For all of us. You know, the devil knows that too. You know what he tries to do? He tries to get you worried about what is it now, the, the, the new flu that's out and the ch- children all over are, are falling apart or something, hospitals are getting overrun, and they're going to have to open tents if the kids keep showing up with the chest cough thing. Anybody? RSV, thank you. That's what I thought. It's the revised standard version. <laughs> It's just fear all the time. It's fear all the time. It's constant fear. You know what the devil wants you to do? He wants you to get so afraid that, man, life is tough and things are bad and things are just going to get worse and it's going to end bad and it's never going to turn around. And boy, he's breaking your spirit. He's robbing you of your joy. He's getting your eyes off Jesus Christ and he's making you think that God Almighty has absolutely lost all his power and doesn't work in the affairs of men. That ain't the truth. Fear is a normal human response. Do you know if fear is a good thing? Yeah. Yeah. Quite literally, fear or anxiety is a natural response that your body produces. So if you didn't have any fear, you would step off the curb in front of a bus. You would look, oh, there's a bus coming. I probably should move. Because at the speed in which that bus <coughs> is traveling, and the fact that I'm kind of standing still right now evaluating the bus means that... <laughs> you're right. You don't have to stop and think about that. You go to step off the curb and a bus is coming and you oh, you no thought process at all. It's a fear response. It's innately part of... It's even part of your physiology. It's part of, your, part of how you're created. It's a good thing. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to divert that fear that God put in you from what you should be afraid of to what you shouldn't. God is using the fear on your adversaries to take care of you. But you know what your adversaries want? They want you to be afraid that, hey, listen, you're done. Cower up. Fight or flight, you know. Instead of fight, flight. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. So now what? You're paralyzed with fear and they do what they want to you. You know, fear is also a dangerous thing. You know what the New Testament tells you? God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Watch this. This is super cool. I really like this verse. And of love. You know, a truly powerful person doesn't have to be violent, he's controlled and of a sound mind. You know what a broken spirit isn't? It's not a sound mind. You know what a broken heart isn't? It's not a sound mind. You know what, depression and that whole, oh, it's never going to work out, what oh, was me, what am I going to do? I, I can't go on, there's no future, God can't use this, this is never going to, that whole thing, that's not a sound mind. That's a broken spirit that dries the bone. That's not joy. It doesn't result in strength. It's weakness. You know what you and I are never commanded to Fear. Yeah, I've tried to combat this a little bit by explaining to you, like we always say the devil's coming after me. Well, let me just say something. Maybe. But most of the time when we say that, I don't think so. I really don't. You realize the devil can only do what God allows him to do. So it has to be a situation where God's like, hey, have you seen my servant Jesse? There's none like him in the earth, one that fears God. You're supposed to be laughing by now. One that fears God and she evil. Right? I mean, I, I'm teasing you, but honestly, when I stop and think about that, I'm like, ah, yeah, like, that's not me, <laughs> right? I would love that somebody to be me, but that's not, I, I don't think I'm that spiritual. Right, but if it is the devil, it had to go across God's desk before God doesn't allow him to do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. And God has him on a leash, and when God wants him to stop, he stops. Right. He gets no rights at you, God doesn't allow. You're not told to fear the devil. The devil's doing this. I'll tell you where that thing comes in. You're sold under a curse. It's not going away. You live in a sinful world. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. That's life under the sun in a sinful world. Yeah. You, know where, you know where it comes to demonic? The devil says, BJ, you've been serving God and faithful to church. You're there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. You're studying. You're in Bible school. And look at what happened to you and one of your buddies ain't living, he's living like the devil, you've been trying to witness to him, and he's making money, and he's doing good, and he's got, and why do you have all these problems? God ain't fair. Right. That ain't right. This ain't working out. That's where it becomes demonic. You start fearing the wrong things. I think the devil's after me, preacher. I think, stop that stuff. You know what you're supposed to fear? You know what you're told to fear in the Bible? The Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Can the devil destroy your body? That's an easy answer. It's not a trick question. Can the devil destroy your body? Could he destroy your marriage? Could he ruin your kids? Can he have your soul? No. You're not told to fear him, you're told to fear the one that can destroy your body and soul in hell. You fear God, you'll be all right. You better fear the right things. You better make sure that you're focusing on the right thing. God, am I in your will? God, am I pleasing you? God, am I doing right? God, am I reading my Bible? Am I praying? Am I in the church you want me to be in? Am I faithful to you? God, am I doing right by you? Are we okay? If God says yes, then relax. Because he's going to give you a happy ending sooner or later. He's going to work it out. That's just who he is. That fear falls on them, but it should not be fallen on you and I, not in the same way as it falls on them. The fear fell on them to bring a good outcome by the grace of God. Look at the next thing. Look at verse number 5. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, and slaughter, and destruction, and did what they would unto those that hated them. Something else about a happy ending, and I don't necessarily like this part, but you know it requires a fight. It requires a fight. You're not going to get a happy ending from God in a sinful world the easy way. I wish it was just like a physical enemy. I mean, we could train and work together and just get really good at what we do and then just smoke them. You know what I'm saying? And then it's over. But the fight you have to deal with, it ain't that easy. I am telling you, the spiritual battles are so much harder than the physical ones that temptation to quit that loss of spiritual appetite that disillusionment with church and with the Bible and with God and with prayer that used to be real exciting but it's not that exciting anymore that doubt I mean don't raise your hands but anybody ever struggle with doubt yes. even though you know the truth the devil comes after you with doubt the spirit, You know what you're going to have to do? If you're going to have a happy ending, you're going to have to fight for it. Gentlemen, you would have fought for her to get her. No. No. Come on. I'm preaching now. I can tell when it gets real quiet like that. You'd have fought for her to get her. Oh, I would have. In a heartbeat. I'll never forget that kid with that Chevy S10. You Remember him? <laughs> she She just failed that. She went... He had a Chevy S10, and he had, he had flames painted across the front and up the hood and up the sides. And he was a pretty boy, you know. I saw her when she first got on campus, but that little snake got to her. And I remember telling the guys, I was like, yeah, wait till the flamer's done. That's what I called him, the flamer. Get it? He had flames on his truck. What? <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking. He had flames on his truck. That's what I'm talking about. I'd have, fought, I'd have fought in a heartbeat. I even let him know back in the dorm. I was like, man, you ain't got a chance. They called me dad because I was five years older than all of them. I was a freshman, but I was five years older than a lot of them. I said, dad, dad's coming. She's mine. I fought, I fought for her. I would have fought for her to get her. You know what you got to do to keep them? Yeah, but once you know her that good... You don't want to fight for her anymore. You're supposed to love her like Christ loved the church, right? Sir. Well, yeah, but she's changed. So have you, genius. Yeah, the chest drops into the drawers. <laughs> You'll get that later. You're not, you're not what you used to be. You're not as sweet as you used to be. You're a little grumpier than you think you are. You know, folks, it takes a fight to keep a marriage. The devil ain't just going to sit back and let a godly marriage just go and give you just wonderful hearts and flowers every day of your life. That ain't reality. Right. That's not reality. Mm-hmm. You know it takes a fight to raise kids? Definitely. The devil's going to come after your kids and there's going to get days where you're like, it ain't even worth it. It's a fight. You got to be willing to fight. You know, some of you got sin problems you've had for a long time and you're sick of them. And you feel guilty over them. You feel dirty. You feel like, what's the point in me even trying? I told God a thousand times I wouldn't do this again, and I did it again. It's a fight. You know what the devil wants? He wants to break your spirit. He wants to tell you, yeah, God ain't going to forgive you again. 1 John 1, 9 has a limit to it. Even though you can't find that in the Bible with a spotlight. Where's that at? Where did God put a limit on it? You sorry? Did you ask him to forgive you? He says he forgives you. We already know not for your salvation; that's for your fellowship. So, if you get dirty again tonight, if you get dirty again tomorrow, get clean again. And if you get get clean again, get clean again. Devils don't want to see you keep getting clean and keep coming. He wants to tell you, you keep messing up. See, so you keep messing up. See, so you keep messing up. I mean, there's a limit. If preacher knew what you really were, if preacher really knew what you think about, if preacher really knew your problems, he wouldn't look at you the same. The people, yeah, whatever, man. Shut up, devil. Just shut up. I'm not going to quit Fight till I die. Why? Because that's what it takes to have a happy ending. And God let him fight. Ain't it a funny thing that God takes Joshua across Jordan? Puts him in the promised land. And then says, okay, now it's time to start fighting. Got him in the promised land. Yeah, you want what I have for you, it's time to fight for it. Why does it work that way? Can I give you my suggestion? I think it's the actual struggle that is the metamorphosis. I think you have to fight to get out of that cocoon. You have to fight through, and the fight develops your strength. The fight purifies you, the fight matures you, the fight changes you, and if God just automatically did it, we'd already be in heaven. He does What, what glory is that? Right. He gets glory out of you in the here and now, saying, God, I'm going to avail myself of the good things you've offered me, and I'm going to keep fighting for you to be what you want me to be. You want a happy ending? You better be willing to fight for it but I don't think most Christians are. They want everything handed to them. This modern generation, they want it here and they want it now. Notice another thing quick. Verse 10. You see it again in verse 15 and verse 16. Verse 10, that they laid, but on the spoil laid they not their hand. He says the same thing in verse 15 and verse 16. What I'm taking from that, and we'll move to the last point, what I'm taking from that is this. The motive for fighting had nothing to do with taking the spoil of their enemies. In other words, they weren't looking for a reward in the here and now. That wasn't the motive for the fight. It wasn't, God, I want to do right because I want you to bless me, and I want a nicer car, and I want a bigger house, and I want a bigger bank account, and I want a bigger this, and I want more of that, I want this and that, I want the promotion. It had nothing to do with it. They're like, listen, we're not looking for nothing out of God. We just want our enemies to back off, and we want to be God's people. So we're going to fight for that. See the motive for the fight? You live in a generation of Christians that think God's big Santa Claus in the sky there to just give them whatever they want. And when they find out that's not the reality of the Christian life, we don't know where they are. They all of a sudden don't show up on Sunday. The reality is, it's a fight. That's the reality. Still want to be here? Because I do. I do. Notice the last thing and we're done. Notice the fame that God gives to Mordecai. Verse 4, for Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame went throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Go down to verse number 30. He sent letters unto all the Jews to the 120 and seven provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim in their times appointed according as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoined them. And as they had decreed for themselves and for their seed, the matters of fasting and of their cry. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim. And it was written in the book. You'll notice that Mordecai, God had given him with some time, some fame. You know what you live in a day and age of? Everybody wants to be famous. Nobody said hi to me when I came to church the root cause of that offending you is you think you're more important than you are. And listen, honestly, I'm sorry. I I want you to understand. You are important to me personally. I say all the time that God will replace you, right? And I believe that's doctrinally very true. But that doesn't mean I want you replaced as your pastor, right? Right. So I'm not saying this like I don't care and you're not important. But now now spiritually speaking, doctrinally in the teaching of it, you get offended about something like that? That's because you think you're so important, everybody else's world should revolve around you. Right. Why shouldn't your world revolve around them? Amen. Right. Nobody said hi to me. Why didn't you say hi to somebody? Right. You, do you see the point there? You know what we all kind of want? We all kind of want down deep to be noticed, recognized, and famous. Do you know what I, you know I want to have? I'll be just honest with you. I want influence. I want influence. You know what some of you, your friends at school want? They want influence. Now let me ask you a question. Who are you allowing to influence you? You know what God did with Mordecai? God allowed him with time. And you can go through your Bible and study this. With time, God allowed him to be greater and greater. It was God doing it. You know why? God wanted to bring a happy ending. You know what I want? I want that slow, steady, gradual growth. I'm not looking to get fast growth anymore. I used to when I was younger. I'm honestly not. I just want one step today and I want another step tomorrow. I want to be a little bit better of a pastor today, a little bit better of a preacher today, and I want to take a little bit more of a step tomorrow. I want that gradual growth that God gives at the right time in the right amounts so that I can do with my life what Mordecai did with his and help some people get a happy ending. Because God does use people to help people. He hasn't stopped doing that. Right. I want to help other people have a happy ending. I preach a lot at the teenagers and at the, even the elementary kids. I know a lot of them are downstairs now, but I do that not because I hate you. Not because I want to be hard on you. It's because I want to see you have a happy ending. Amen. I look at your life right now and what God's given you sitting in the pew of a Bible believing church with parents, and your parents aren't any more perfect than your pastor is, but they're trying. And you've got decisions to make. And if you make the wrong decisions, you're going to give yourself a horrible ending. And right. it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Thank you, you can have a good ending if you'll listen and let God move in your life and let God's hand work in your life and let God's timing play out in your life, if you'll follow the rules that God sets, it'll work out well. It will be a fight. It will take time. It will not be easy. But that's because what you're doing is real. And God will work it out in the end for your good and His glory with a happy ending. Look at chapter 10. We're going to read it and we're done. King Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land. See, you don't ever get away from reality. There's the taxes. And upon the isles of the sea and all the acts of his power and of his might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? Can you imagine? This guy went from a nobody in the gates to This great, all because of the unseen hand of God and because of some very simple decisions he made not to bow to Haman, not to let his his cousin that he raised as a daughter just back out, but encouraging her to do right. God does amazing things. For Mordecai, verse 3, the Jew was next unto the king of Hasuerus and great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. You know what God saw way back there early on in Mordecai? He saw a man willing to take his cousin and raise her at his own expense, making a simple decision way back when, like, look at the heart of that guy. So God, through time and through circumstance and allowing all this tragedy and these hard times to come and the frustration to build and seemingly bad negative outcomes coming, God, over time, develops that man and prepares that man and works and works through his life and works through Esther, works in the king, works in Haman. God does all this stuff with the unseen hand of God to bring out in the end a very happy ending where God entrusts to Mordecai more and more as time goes on and proves in the end that it was God and that was the right man to pick because when that man gets to the highest level a man can get, he says, I'm using everything God's given me to help everybody else. Ain't that what Jesus did? Aren't you still benefiting from what Jesus Christ did? Folks, that's how to have a happy ending. And only God can give it. I don't care how hard your life has been, I don't care how many heartbreaks and scars and issues you got, if you'll stick with God, He can bring a happy ending. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.